The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Good afternoon. It is time for Ice Topica here on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is me, Simon Tishko, and I do believe this is the last Ice Topica of the summer season. Hopefully we will be back after our summer holidays. And um, let me see if we still have a world even in place there, because we have to admit it, the 24 hours news cycle simply isn't fast enough to catch up with what has been going on over the last month or two or three. Um, how many terrorist outrages, how many mad shootings, um, attempted coups, coups, counter coups, um, it just goes on. The absurdity and the insanity of the world politic at the moment is beyond my grasp and I will say that's nearly an episode of I Stop I always do. The dystopia is coming. I just read a report that suggests that Donald Trump could actually be the president of the United States. Welcome to the age of stupid. It is firmly upon us as I still debate Brexit with, I can't believe it, there's people in my social circle and friends that have actually voted for this absurd and nasty phase of our evolution, I suppose. But anyway, um, I'm stepping back from despair and I'm in a terribly good mood at the moment which is really rather nice and somewhat rare and to go with that rather nice mood I am treating in the Isotropica studios today with um, one of those people that if you zoom about the world with a certain open mind one is lucky enough to bump into at certain times and in this instance it's Zelda Cheetle um, if you Google Zelda, you'll come up with a great big Z being her logo, which is really rather cool and groovy. Zelda Cheetle, uh, many of you all know from the eponymous gallery, Zelda Cheetle Gallery, which was around in London from 1989 to 2003. Zelda was one of, or remains, and is one of the people that oversaw the strange transition of photography into one of the mainstream fine arts that it is today with um, people from certain German schools of photography reaching multi-million pound dollar yen prices for their photographic prints in their various editions etc 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 and within my own work as an artist I find photography to be the most intellectually challenging and problematic so the chance of finding myself as new best friends with Zelda Cheetle was just too much to hope for but there you go it's happened because working with uncertain states the group of rather interesting photographers and publishers we went and took part in an academic Beano to Derby the format festival a few weeks ago where I met Zelda she was also speaking at this event and so today Zelda comes in and the two of us chat and muse and think about things to do with what it means to be an artist in the 21st century what is art etc 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 <sighs> meanwhile hopefully during the course of today's ice topic the world will not decay into a further state of kipple as philip k 
Dick described entropy in Android's dream of electric sheep, but they go, I digress, because that's what I do. Let's sit back, let's enjoy today's matter with Zelda Cheetle. Details at the end of the show. Zelda Cheetle. Welcome to Istovka. Thank you, Simon. Zelda and I met recently on a project which was a symposium. What was the name of the symposium? It was organised by Uncertain States. Mm -hmm. And I think... Part of the Format Festival. Part part of the Format Festival, but I think that the title, which is possibly up for discussion, was called Keepers of Culture. Keepers of Culture, yeah, I forgot about that bit. I... All my files and folders relating to said project were written as uncertain. Uncertain. But Uncertain States, I think, is a wonderful name for the group that is Spencer and David and Fiona. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically, uh, photography is the theme and the reason d'etre of Uncertain States. And... Are you an associate member, a member, or how? what's your association with Uncertain States? Um, um, no, Uncertain States is only ever that glorious triumvirate, which is okay. David, Spencer and Fiona. But I've mm-hmm. been working with them, I think probably the last 18 months, maybe the last couple of years, with various things right across from being one of the people that judge the open call and so there was, I think there was, I was one and helped suggest some other names of people that then chose a piece of work and made an exhibition that was in Four Corners in Roman Road. Um, and so that was, I think that was the beginning of my kind of close, no, maybe I actually started with this symposium that Nick Hefner was talking about Hitchcock. And for a number of years and my mm-hmm. sort of um, involvement with CAS, I got to know them all. And I've been very admiring of the kind of things that they've been doing. I like their newsletter, I like their attitude, I like the events. And so I got involved in the whole sort of um, shenanigans around the process of being collected or collecting or who collects and how people collect or what they collect, that kind of thing. So we did a series of really interesting lectures, each one with a very different kind of theme and different kind of people that we brought together at the Victoria and Albert Museum. Mm-hmm. And so that the one that you and I met was like the final one of bringing things together from all the various strands that we had at the V&A. And it was really fun. It was fun. It was um, an academic beano to Derby. And let's give a kind of hyponym to the whole thing because it's photography that we're talking about very specifically. And your name, uh, more than anyone else, well, it are in different terms, uh, but your name is very much associated with photography because you go back to the early days of the Photographer's Gallery. Is that the early days of the Photographer's Gallery, or at least? Yes, it, it wasn't the very beginning. Sue no. Davis, my boss, had set it up in the 70s, mm-hmm. and I didn't come on board until the early 80s. But then when I did, I was really... I'd done a degree in photography, which it was quite a hard thing to do. I had to really fight my way to be allowed to even consider photography as a fine art Mm -hmm. so that had been was that practice oh yes and it was it was a very strange time the end of the 70s in the uk there was no real there was 
I think there were city and guild certificates in kind of practical photography, mm-hmm. but there wasn't a degree course, and I was on mm-hmm. a degree course, and I wanted it to be in photography. And what is great is that because I think I um, caused enough jip for the college, there was a, a course in mixed media that included photography mm-hmm. that Cheryl Newman actually the, the year after I left they started this course that did involve photography so I think in some way I had something to do with them beginning to recognize that photography was a serious medium mm. it's it's a curious thing because I think one of the things that I'd like to talk about or something you've got such direct experience of is this transition from photography being um, a side part not considered a fine art um, being something that fine artists used another medium or to the point now where it's it's been reconsidered and to an extent as someone at the edges or as an artist that works with photography it's been heavily commodified by the modern art system and the modern gallery system Um, a lot of that is very good and yet there's an element of it of just particular gallery exploitation perhaps what yes I think that covers a lot, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not a question, that's, a, a, that's an a observation. It's an yeah. observation and it's true. I mean, let let me just true. give um, a, a technical thing here. If we think we'll try and chat till about ten past, quarter past, and that gives us um, time to actually fit it into a programme segment. But I get the impression we just could talk for hours anyway, but let's... <laughs> <laughs> this is Isotopica and it's known as cultural sonic detours because <laughs> I really do not try to pin down the subjects. Please don't. No. Well, good. Because I mean, because I think someone said this a long time ago that photography is like medicine anyway. Because you can say, oh yes, I work in medicine or I work in photography. It can mean anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but photography in the way that you and I might know it and the way that we even are interested in talking about it is something it, the essence of which is really really fascinating mm. and it is nothing whatsoever to do with the clunky how to do it ABC yeah we, we just we're not even going to go there mm-hmm. um, but it is very hard to actually uh, get rid of those shackles um, and I do think that that has taken it has taken my lifetime which is a good kind of 40 years in photography mm-hmm. to see that actually be properly loosened up sufficiently that it really doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. And yet, amazingly, there are these places like the World Photographic Society that still exist in exactly that way that they always did. So that there is the amateur photography world exists utterly the same, unchanged. That's, yeah, that's that's got so many echoes of it itself, the amateur photographer. Yeah. Um, is, is there a magazine, amateur photographer? Yes, the, well, there certainly there was. Be. I think it still exists. I think it does. It, but, it, I mean, it's, it's completely and utterly in a sphere unto itself. Sure. And I think that has been a sort of complicating factor all the way along, that people that are using the vehicle, the medium of photography in order to express their ideas. I mean, they have absolutely nothing. They don't have any language in common with the Mm. people that are 
em- embracing amateur photography. Yeah, it's it's within my own practice. I know it's always been the most problematic area for very very many reasons. A beautiful problem. I mean, that's the kind of that's what we do. We grapple with those things, and, and that's the point. But it still leaves me very confused. And um, so you started. You were at the photographer's gallery. Yeah. And what was and the idea for the photographer's gallery when it was first set up? What well, was Sue Davis, when, when I got on board, Sue mm-hmm. Davis had worked at the ICA. Mm-hmm. So she'd kind of known Roland Penrose and Lee Miller, set up the ICA. Mm-hmm. She'd realised that there wasn't any real venue other than the ICA for people to show photography. And they'd showed Don McCallan. And there was a lot of people that Sue already had met in photography with nowhere to show. And she thought, this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. So that she, she remortgaged her own home and she started the photographer's gallery and asked people to help and Bill Brandt, the photographer who lived in Kensington was the first person through the door with a check for her wow. very quietly he handed over to someone who was so nice beautiful was and that the Covent Garden <coughs> location? yes that was the one mm-hmm. um, behind Leicester Square Tube Station sure. in Great Newport Street so um, Sue had immense, immense support from the world of I mean, people like Robert Frank or William Klein or I mean, Helmut Newton, you name it, any, anybody, anybody mm. wanted to show the photographer's gallery. So by getting involved, um, I just had, the 80s were an incredibly good time for me. I mean, Stuart Morgan, who um, was like mm-hmm. a tutor of mine at Brighton. Interesting. He was someone that introduced me to William Wegman and Eggleston and the, the photographers of the 70s in America. Yeah. And I'd been to like, the States and I'd actually begun through my eyes being opened by Stuart Morgan um, to what was happening there. There was nothing like that happening in London. There were, in Europe, there were things beginning to kind of bubble and pop, which mm-hmm. was good. Um, but Sue Davis and the photographer's gallery made things start happening in London, really. It was Sue, um, single-handedly, who got that off the ground. She did it, and she she did a very good job. And so when I came along, there was already this great reputation for the photographer's gallery, and I had a similar kind of energy to Sue, and it worked very well, and so things just kind of really... Sue really didn't have a commercial bone in her body, mm-hmm. And I didn't know if I did or not, but I certainly did because I was able to make lots of things really happen and so sales really picked up and really, really, really in a good way. So it sold tons of work for very nice people. And that was quite an exciting time. And so Sue, I was there at Shogford's Gallery um, and Sue was saying, yeah, you'll have to start your own gallery. You just can't stay here forever. But by the time you start your own gallery, I was thinking, Maybe I should, but I mean, it was absolutely with the um, blessing of Sue, mm-hmm. who threw a very nice party for me and came to the opening of my gallery. And she was she was very um, much endorsing what I did. Mm-hmm. We're still very good pals, actually. And so the Zelda Cheetle Gallery came about in Nine, the January of 1989. I started okay. the new year. It was the year photography was 150 years old, <laughs> so it seemed an appropriate moment. Sure. The Royal Academy in uh, Piccadilly that had said in my lifetime never will a photograph darken their walls because it's not art, it's disgusting and they would rather <laughs> have 
the academy <laughs> empty you can show photographs. That's amazing. Who no, seriously? Come seriously, on, that who, is what they said. When you say they, that must have been. Was that kind of like the? It wasn't the house Cassin, policy, but or, it was. It was just. Yeah. It was very much. The, well, it's made up of artists, mm. sculptors, painters. Mm-hmm. They were never going to let the demon photograph through the door. And then, photography was 150 years old, uh-huh. and. Uh, they had an exhibition that they had to extend by four months because the queues went the whole way down Piccadilly. Sure. And so that it's not, they had to eat their words. It only took them 150 years. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, so it was, that was the very moment at which I um, started hmm. my own gallery. But I'd, by then I'd already met lots of people and I didn't ever want to diminish anything from the photographer's gallery, but it it did seem like well, it was the first. My gallery was the first kind of private gallery, mm. independent gallery of photography in London. Mm. And it, I mean, I, I had it for 17 years, so that it worked. But why I decided to do it when I had a one-year-old baby, I do not know. <laughs> it's like. I don't know, not never sleep. If you want a busy if you want something done you ask a busy person to do it, I guess. Yes, and you just that you don't even think about those things. Mm. But I mean it was certainly but it was good. It was good. Um, I'm I'm glad I did do it. Mm. And I moved I was in Cecil Court, it was quite a funky time. Um, Where's Cecil Court? Remind me. That's Between Charing Cross Road and St Martin's Lane. Yeah, it's that little street of Yeah, yeah, love it. Love it. Shops yeah, beautiful, beautiful street. Yes, it was it was good. It was good, and I and I had some really fantastic shows. I mean, Helen Chadwick. Mm-hmm. We had two of her exhibitions, and they were amazing. I had, in fact, I was going to have a Robert Frank show there. He was quite keen, but then it got the exhibition was stolen in Cannes, and so I had Robert Frank himself in my gallery for two weeks instead of having the exhibition. I had him, and that was great. That was even better. Perfect. When you say it's stolen, what do you mean? The actual physical work. The physical work of Robert Frank's was stolen in Cannes, and it was meant to be coming from Cannes to me. Yeah. And so they had no exhibition. So you had the photographer instead. So I had him. Beautiful. And what was he doing? Oh well, he's an amazing. He's an inspirational character, really. He just he would just turn up every day and play with babies and talk about life and he was just <laughs> such a nice man. <laughs> well, did you sell anything? Well, we didn't have anything to sell. No, <laughs> no. that's the beauty of it. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like a, 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 a. How long was that for? Ten days. Two well, weeks? he was there about two weeks. Two yeah. week performance. That's nice. But it was very, very, very nice to have him. And so, in my bathroom still, I've got pictures of Robert Frank holding Liam, Graham, who was working in the gallery, his son Liam, who's now, like, probably 25. Uh-huh. Um, a picture of Robert Frank holding Liam. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So, I mean, yes, lots of good, lots of good things happened in the gallery. Mm. And you yeah. sold lots of work, and you've seen photography move from something that wouldn't darken the walls of the Royal Academy to something now it's it's I mean records record prices millions and millions for like the, is it the Frankfurt score I'm thinking of something else altogether the, the German photographers the well there, there is a Frankfurt school but mm. that's not as there's the the Burnton Hiller Becker School of Photography, mm-hmm. which is Thomas Truth and all of those sorts of people, okay. um, which do fetch a great deal of money. Sure. Um, but it's the Dusseldorf School, I think, Dusseldorf. that you may be thinking of. I was thinking of Frankfurt School to do a completely different discipline. That's typical yeah. of me. It's like, 
never mind. Um, no, but um, yes, that's but really the very, very, very big number crunching ones. Richard Prince, who did all those kind of pastiche of the well, in fact, he re photographed the Marlborough Man on yeah. the ads. Those started selling. Yeah, in the Uber millions. Because Richard Prince is just downloading things off the internet and printing yeah. them up again now and selling them for. That's what he was doing then, but yeah. he's yeah, mostly photographic kind of source material. Uh-huh. So those, Cindy Sherman's, um, mm. Andreas Gursky. Mm. Um, the Gurskis reached the most record price, wasn't it? Like millions and millions. Or any idea? That sort of figures on those. 14 million for one. What does that mean? I mean, it means in, that someone is foolish enough to spend that much money. Absolutely, but <laughs> in the terms of forty million, would that be a? I mean, because we have all these different ways. So it's a, an addition, not an addition. Is the negative destroyed? How is the how is the fetish maintained? How is the the sanctity of the forty million pound art object maintained, or is that not even maintained anymore? As as, as that pretends well, because to of course it's. That um, charade yeah. of additioning, uh-huh. which is like, oh, there's only three, or there's, oh, this is a unique piece. Yeah. You can bet your bottom dollar every single time. If the reason is good enough, another one can be made. I've done it myself. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So, I mean, I just. I think I had a special edition on top of the edition with yeah. one sort of particular some neons that just kept selling out, and mm. everyone wanted them. Yeah, of course. And even a collector that bought one of the earlier editions wanted to buy one for a new business partner that he started off with. And they said, well, he bought the last of the edition. He said, well, can we have a new edition? And it's in his benefit to keep the edition. So it's just, as you say, it's a charade, a game, a game we play. Okay, okay, we've now got the special edition. Of course I'll do it. Yeah, for the right reason, for the right money, everybody will. Uh-huh. And it's also, the, there was a time, it doesn't really exist anymore because the world has changed, but it used to be like, oh, well, um, you can't take so seriously because they do commercial work. Wow. Yep. So what's commercial work? Mm. I mean, everyone from Hockney, everybody has done something that is a commercial job at sure. some point for a lot of money it's it's yeah it's it's context of the work isn't it it's the context of the work but i think that's an argument i've had many times myself and i still the idea of you know you take a picture for well richard prince would do that or anyone would do that you just recontextualize so it's like it's the charade it's the charade once again but yeah it's, the, it's just the fetish and the object mm. I mean, I think that probably in the same way that Damien Hirst and Damien Hirst dealers mm. made his additions into something <laughs> interesting. He's still selling his degree show, let's be honest. I mean, he's still selling his degree show from 19-whatever it was. It's, it's, we don't even need to go there. No. So, 14 million for a print, photographic print, beautifully framed, large format. And a lot of museums felt that they had to have one to prove that they were in the running a series, big museums. Right. I mean, our very own Tate have a vastly expensive Gursky. And you think, and all those British artists that have not yet been purchased? Hmm. Yeah, people living right here, right now. Anyway. I've got my hand up, but... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, artist in the back there, please. Uh, yeah, put your hand down. There's no questions at this point. 
Yeah, but I think um, but everyone felt that they had, a lot of the museums felt that they had to do it. So we've gone from the photograph, you know, the work of art in the age of mechanical reproduction, the photograph, the photograph, the mechanical work par excellence, not gracing the walls of the Royal Academy, to being taken seriously, to being appreciated and then utterly exploited so we've gone from one extreme mm. to the other um what how do you feel as a photographer and an artist yourself and as someone that's kind of been through the commercial side where, where do you how do you feel about it at the moment that's that's an interesting what i think and what i actually talk to students about quite a lot and some are receptive and some are not is that it's no longer enough just to be making great work you mm. have to make great work you have to have complete belief in yourself and your work mm -hmm. but you also have to have a very serious business head as well mm. because it's not enough or you have to ha employ someone to be that business head sure. for you it's, n it's not enough to make the work you're not no one is just going to come and knock on your door and make it all into something perfect you mm -hmm. have to be able to do a lot of um, the presenting of who you are or what you are and what you're doing um, you have to do that you have to be able to do that and mm -hmm. a lot of them just don't even want to hear that and a lot of artists are actually the, the worst at doing that for themselves yeah I've got my hand up again here it <laughs> <laughs> it's um yeah, there's a, there's the strange caprice. Yet uh, there's there's another side of that that I've noticed with <clears throat> the times when I go into universities and with other friends that are teaching that um, there is a generation of people coming in to study art as a business, as a kind of lifestyle, as um, it's almost breathtaking at times. Some of the questions that get asked. Do you find that, 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 that the idea of the artist itself is changing because of this, especially with people paying £60,000 or whatever, how much debt yeah. they have to go into to do an art course? Hmm. Of course. I mean, it's, um, it's funny, there's a little Chinese girl I met in Chongqing, actually. Mm -hmm. She's already done an MA in fine art and she's come to Camberwell and she's doing another MA in book arts because she believes there will be even though she's a really talented she was making ceramics before she's very good uh -huh. she's doing book arts because she thinks there is a job and her parents are prepared to finance her being here for another two years if it's got if there's a job well in art there's never a job no there, that is not one of the perks <laughs> <laughs> um, Someone was talking to me last night about how sh she wanted to have some kind of long-term security. I was thinking, yeah, but it, I mean, she said, I don't want to live the whole of the rest of my life hand to mouth. And you think, but that's, if you're doing that, that's okay. That is what mm. it is. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. It's, it's this, this kind of cultural shift. It's a post, I'll use that evil word, the Thatcher, the post, the, the notion of what it means to be a person in society filters through to the point where it changes <coughs> excuse me changes what it means to be an artist in society perhaps and just around the corner from me in Fulham 
Um, the old council offices have been closed down and they've now been turned into an international music school. Mm-hmm. And when I used to be, I used to be road crew and sound engineer and lighting design things out for all these bands. I just made it up. I just went along and started doing it and carried a load of boxes and started doing all this stuff till I was mixing sound in stadiums. It was ridiculous. It was such a blag, and it was such fun. And I was always going hee hee hee. And but now people go to get a BTEC and a degree in it. And if you want to be a folk singer, you go and do the folk singing course and things <laughs> like that. And it's and I see all these young people going round there with they look slightly groovier than most of the people in Fulham mostly sort of bankers and their wives and children and <laughs> you got these people with sort of uh, groovy headphones and slightly baggier clothes and guitars on their back and they're going to learn to be musicians and artists and people in that business and it's extraordinary it's something that no one would have ever done you know Pink Floyd saying you know we're going to form a band once we get our certificates yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. That is funny. Yeah. What about your practice as a photographer? Are you doing any work as a photographer? Well, I think that that was something you have to knock that on the head if you have a gallery. Okay. Um, because you cannot have a gallery and even be thinking that you could ever participate in your own shows. Gosh. Because then it would be like a vanity gallery and it would not be good. Mm. So I had to really knock that on the head. So actually, what I do now is a lot of phone photography. What does that mean? Oh, I, oh sorry, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I had visions of you sitting in your sort of gallery office, not that you've got the gallery at the moment, but yeah. sort of phoning people up as some kind of interactive <laughs> art. That would be quite nice, great, actually. Yeah. Kind of remote photographic process. But... Um, yeah, so what phone have you got? iPhone 6, is it? Or 5. 5, yeah. Five. I like iPhone 5 better than 6. Okay, I've got... Although it's not a... Apparently 6 is a better camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've heard. But yeah, you can capture an awful lot with those cameras. Well, I think... Um, what I like is that it's uh, utterly um, unpretentious. Uh-huh. It's slightly a bit weird, though, that everyone now is feeling that they have to photograph everything more than live it. That bothers me a little bit. I wonder if it's if it's nearly been facilitated a bit more. We think about the Kodak moment when, in the 1950s and the 1960s, um, appeared, especially in America. Um, you had the spot. They'd send professional photographers around mm. to monuments, beauty spots, tourist attractions, things like that, and say, "This is the spot where you take the photograph." this is the best spot and they'd have a little sign there saying this is for this is the spot to take the picture and so people more or less queue up to take the same picture as this is pretty scary that people would do that but that was the 1950s so and that became part they still of had brains in 1950s no i didn't mean it in those terms <laughs> i'm saying i'm 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 <laughs> I, I i was thinking of it in terms that the phenomena we see now with mobile phones wherever you go you got to photograph yourself being there and doing it was in play in the 1950s but hadn't built up the momentum that it mm. has now and perhaps it's the same process and when when it, uh, we were strolling to the studio I mentioned that 1938 film uh, Night Train to Berlin or Berlin Express or something which is gorgeous and there's just that lovely scene of the Eiffel Tower in the middle of the afternoon with half a dozen kids playing under it whereas when you go to the Eiffel Tower now 
or anywhere in the world that is a place one might want to go. It is like Borough Market was where we met earlier on, absolutely packed with people wearing tourist clothes or with their cameras out taking selfies of themselves in the same crowd of tourists. It's, it's Maybe this is part of the reason I never leave the house at the moment. I think you can actually live through CGI. You know, I could just kind of, I could just sit at home sending out selfies, <laughs> blue screening myself from my bed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, what, what a dismal thought. I think those narcissistic sticks should be banned. Did you see the, there was um, <clears throat> a lovely series of videos from a Mexican gentleman who went on holiday uh, with his selfie stick, but he actually had his phone pointed the other way around. So he wasn't actually in any of the pictures. He was just pointing the camera on the end of a stick, taking pictures. That's hilarious. Yeah. On purpose. No. On mistake. <laughs> he didn't realise. <laughs> he didn't grasp the whole notion of the selfie, which is kind of beautiful. <laughs> I think that's... That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I didn't know that. So, photography as a medium. You're using an iPhone. So, you... I'm using an iPhone, but then the other end of the scale is yeah. all of those people that are um, making collodion plates. Exactly what I was going to get to. So, yeah. where, where, where are you with that? Because with our friend Spencer, Spencer Rowell, who's been on Isotopica, who took one of the biggest selling ever Athena photographs, man and baby, yeah. that bought him his first light aeroplane, the only light aeroplane he's ever had. And it's, you know, <laughs> great story. Um, yeah, he he loves that and very much fetishizes to an extent or prays at the altar of the analog process, doesn't he? Yes, the analog, but also the very early Victorian um, types of image making, mm -hmm. you know, like cyanotype, and I mean, they. I think it's very nice because they then are kind of unique pieces, mm. um, and they do require that mixture of art and science which maybe is photography which alchemy. is alchemy it's uh, alchemy, alchemy yes. beautiful uh, photography yeah. has always been an alchemical act yeah so that and yes for people that are um really 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 interested in the process of actually physically making something to make a really early mm -hmm. victorian sort of type to make a you know wet plate collodion or a they're beautiful prints and they're very they're special and it is interesting that there's a lot more of that happening now as things get more and more digitised that there's more and more people actually wanting to make hands-on early. It's happening across all of the media though, isn't it, to the extent with the, the rise in vinyl, you know, vinyl dying off, everyone getting CDs and now, you know, you've got to have, if, if you go to Hoxton, you've got to have a couple of 12-inch records under your arm or... Yeah. Um, and and fetishized to the point that now people, collectors, they want heavy weight vinyl. So vinyl is actually described by the gram weight. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that, oh, this is a 200 gram early pressing. Of the oh, Beatles, how da, 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 da. That's amazing. Um, and the fetish there. So when you think of, Spencer was telling me he takes some of his paper for the salt-based prints. I'm not quite sure of the process, yeah, but I want to find out. Prints, yeah. And he goes to the seaside and soaks the 
paper in the sea so perfect. he salts the paper in the sea which is absolutely perfect yet um, Spencer much like myself and many other artists does not sell his prints for 14 million dollars a la Gursky. but he would do if someone offered absolutely <laughs> Absolutely. And it's interesting. Maybe it's Spencer doesn't have that business head. That well, he doesn't have that business head. Mm. He definitely does not. Mm. And that business head does involve many things. It involves massive, massive amounts of uh, self-belief and self-confidence that mm-hmm. not everybody has actually managed to get for whatever reason. Sure. In their childhood or their um, early education. Because, it, I mean, somebody like Tracy Emin... Mm. It's another very good example of someone who has massive self-confidence and belief in herself yeah. and belief in her worth. And she, she, Sarah Lucas, well, all of those kind of YBAs all yeah, did yeah, it. Yeah. They all got themselves PR agents. They all got themselves business managers. They all got themselves kitted up mm. so that they could continue to be the artists that they wanted to be but valued extremely highly because they valued themselves extremely highly yeah I mean Tracy I remember I mean Helen Chadwick had said it a long time before but I mean Helen did say that by the time you've done a foundation course and then you do a three-year degree course and then you do a two-year master's course at mm-hmm. the Royal College or something you spent like seven years it's the same as a doctor sure so like or an architect but a doctor and architect you've got some kind of a place in society but as an artist you don't you end up usually working in a studio that is probably subhumane conditions it's probably dangerous the the wiring is probably extremely faulty and is very damp um you're not given any credibility i mean so somebody somewhere along the line has to say hang on a minute i am good i have done all of this and i'm making great work and mm-hmm. so you've got to recognize it so that it's it, it is that whole combination of actually of not just making the work but also that um ability to convince others mm. of your worth Hmm. which is a quite a complicated, complex business. And having had a gallery, having worked in a gallery for 25 years, I'm really aware of all the different levels of which an artist can be at and also all the different levels at which collectors kind of come in and what they're expecting of their artists that they might collect or buy or mm-hmm. patronise or support or follow it's um a minefield it's an absolute minefield to be negotiating as an artist someone when i was at um hornsey middlesex uh did a degree there one of the degree shows couple before mine the artist had actually made photographs and gone back to the records of the university and interviewed people that had um what's the word part finished their degree and uh to see what work they were doing and it was a single digit percentage who were still practicing as artists and they photographed them in their other professions and one of my favorite was there's one guy whose work i loved was a bingo caller on the coast somewhere really <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> but that's that's kind of delicious in its own right isn't it well when I went to Goldsmiths in 1980 to do a postgraduate, I um, 
We were all told on the very first day that um, only one person out of the 30-odd that were there mm -hmm. would actually work as an artist and everyone else would just fall by the wayside. Mm. So that was... When was that? That was... 1980. Okay. And I thought that's quite a damning thing. Maybe it's true. Sure. Well, the culture industry says... Um I may mention him to you, an academic and practicing artist who's also an economist called Hans Ebbing. Come across him? You sent me a link to Yeah, he's, his, his book, which I never finished because... It's so dense because it's so intense. It's so dense, so intense, but also so ultimately depressing, the reality of yeah. it, because it's, it's an examination of the unusual economy of the arts and how there no other field of human endeavour do so many people do so much work for so little return financially and reward within respect and place within society as well. And yet he finds the more one subsidises the arts, as happens in some European countries, then the greater the poverty of the artist because the more subsidies that are available the facts actually suggest that more people flow in to get what little crumbs there are it's a very curious thing with the Gerskis at the top with 14 million and the Spencers and myself soaking our paper in the seaside <laughs> so where are you at with all that at the moment because what what happened to the gallery um I closed the gallery in 2005 I've been asked to start a collection for a photography fund mm -hmm. so I was extraordinarily naive because I had no idea what I was letting myself in for which was what which was well I went to join the fund and then you see a contract and you think I've got no idea what this contract is no. all about you sign a contract and then they say well let's start the fund and you go like what what do you mean they said well you're gonna have to write the fund documents and you go like but I have no idea what that even means? They said, "Well, learn." And then said, "And then you got to raise the money for the fund." And I went, "But I thought that was what you did." Yes. I thought One you said to so. me to come. I said, "No, you got to raise all the money." You thought you were going to just buy the photographs? I, th oh, I thought that was what I had Choose been asked them. to do. Yeah. That's why I closed my gallery and all Oh my god! Um, and it's like, well, so then raise the money, which somehow rather I did, um, and then it was like, well. They didn't give you the money just to put it in the bank. You've got to actually have, you've got to have a whole plan of how you're going to spend these millions, and then you've got to turn it around in super quick time and uh, sell them all for a huge profit. And that also was not explained to me in how quick a time they wanted to turn that around. In uh -huh. So they said when I started, when I was suckered in, that it would be three years, and it was like seven years before I got out. And that's a long time to be in the financial world, which is not my world. No, of course. And nobody really... So that was a real misstep. It was a... But it was certainly an eye-opener. It mm -hmm. was not at all what I thought. I mean, I was... I did amaze myself that I was able to write some offering memorandum and subscription documents and all... I mean, you can do a lot of things whenever push comes to shove. Sure. But um, it was not... It's not... It's, it was not my favourite seven years, but in the in the middle years when I had bought a lot of really incredible photographs, really amazing photographs, organised symposiums, lent to museums, done some big shows, that kind of thing was really good in the middle, but the beginning and the end was not good. Okay. But then, since 
2012, I have been curating shows, mm -hmm. and that has been a really interesting thing, really fascinating thing to do. So that, in a way, feels like all of my experience of all of the things that I've ever done have all come together, and curating these, the show that I did this year for Dubai, which was 868 artworks from 129 artists from uh -huh. 23 countries, that's bigger than the new Tate. There's more artworks, and I did that pretty much on my own. So Kayab. It was big. That was a big uh -huh. job, and I did all of that in eight months. So it was that was great. So that that was actually working with great people all over the world, mm. and also working for you know, people in Dubai. That was Arab, and that was completely different um, sensitivities, mentality, mm. approach. They loved it in the end. It was quite. That was. It was that. a struggle. You said it, it, it was. It was. Uh, it was not simple, but it was. In the end, it was amazing. amazing. Excellent. Great show. So it, it's, I get the impression you've got quite an international profile that you work, it's, it's very much an international business now, the idea of these biennales and... What I love is that photography actually is a universal language. Okay. I think that is a great thing about mm -hmm. it. And there's an, because of it really starting in the 1970s, it's a long span of time. So a lot of the people that are in photography and that are curators of museums and things all over the world, I've come across them. Mm -hmm. one time or another so it's a nice thing and a lot of the artists too and I still like doing lots of portfolio reviews and meeting young ones and seeing what's what and it's good now what I'm doing now is great it's great excellent and now in the future we've got let's let's just bring a little tie a bow on today's edition of Ice Topka yeah <laughs> So what's what's coming up for you soon? Or what's coming up? Um, at the moment, I'm working with really fantastic black photographers in the UK of the 70s and 80s for putting together portfolios of vintage works or iconic prints that they made in the 70s and 80s for Autograph, the Association of Black Photographers mm -hmm. that are in Shoreditch. So that's been really, really interesting working with really nice people Charlie Phillips Dennis Morris Neil Kenlock Armit Francis uh, there's I mean there's many black photographers they're mostly men which is interesting because not mm -hmm. many black women were really photographing Joy Gregory started Ingrid Pollard started a little bit later than more the 80s but in the 70s it was more a male dominated black photographer mm -hmm. interesting um, but that's, I'm really enjoying that. I'm going to be um, curating an exhibition in Saudi Arabia that we've been working on. The theme, which is going to be like an open call to Saudi and all other nationals living in Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. And I've never been to Saudi. That'll be very interesting. I'm working with Jane England on a book. She's doing a really good book and I'm helping her put that together. She photographed a lot of transgender and performance people in the 70s. And so that's a nice book to be working on. And I'm generally having a very nice time. <laughs> Good. Let's, um, and what are you up to, Simon? Uh, trying not to drown post-Brexit at the moment. Mm. And as part of not drowning, I may have just um, adopted an old boat called the Thames Queen. Well, where is it? At the moment, it's on a squatted mooring in Brentford. 
but we may be moving it to Dartford. So I may actually have another space. I desperately need a second space because I used to have a third space and a fourth space and a studio and all the spaces have gone. So I'm terribly cramped and looking forward, romancing European galleries and looking to move things forward or just retire from life altogether and become a holy man in India. I actually was considering that because I actually wear a dirty rather well. And... Um, <laughs> It's always an option. I can always go. Well, it, when I was in India a few years ago, um, we went to this place called a Monkey Temple just outside Jaipur. And one of the guys was just showing us around. And he was a civil servant who reached his mid-50s and decided to step back from his life and his family and become and just live the holy life which meant basically showing people around the monkey temple <laughs> and hanging out there and, and the, having that option to do that just only saying that's it I'm going to stop I'm going to do something else that's an interesting option it's one of several options one of several options yeah. but I get the impression that we've got lots to talk about about lots of options it's uh, been a real pleasure to have you as a guest on Ice Topica here today I apologise for the extreme heat of the studio studio number two here at Resonance FM but think of it as training for when you go to Saudi Arabia <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you Zelda for coming in thank you Simon it's been fun cool
You have been listening to another edition of Isotopico with me, Simon Tishko, and today's studio guest, Zelda Cheetle. If you want some further details of Zelda, then, or in fact anything Isotopica, um, you can always look up Zelda directly. As Googling Zelda Cheetle will bring up lots of stuff on the internet. Or you could go to the Isotopica home base and look at www.theculture.net where you will find all sorts of links, pictures, um, colouring in pages and all sorts of things that you can do and think about uh, all to do with Isotopica, Zelda Cheetle and the wider world that we just about still inhabit in the early 21st century. In the meantime, I believe Isotopica is taking somewhat of a summer break as most of Resonance FM goes into diagnostic and repair mode for the summer months um cobwebs will be dusted etc etc i like saying that today in the meantime you can find old issues and editions of isotopica on itunes you can find links to that by googling isotopica itunes stuff like that google whatever you'll get to wherever and it all will make sense or simply the website being once again www.theculture.net um hashtag istopka for direct communications with everyone istopka towers and hope you'll have a nice summer and um that we're all still here in the fall and please 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 Everyone out there, make sure there's no Donald Trump. I really don't think I could cope with President Trump out there. So let's let's give out some pamphlets on that, people. Thanks again to Zelda. Coming up next is Carol Finer. She will be on live if you happen to be listening to this live on Tuesday afternoon. If not, it'll be something completely random from the Resonance FM archives. We are repeated on Resonance DAB, which is Extra Resonance Resonance Extra. And please keep feedback coming in. Let's keep communicating during the summer. It's been lovely being here for a while. Hope to see you all soon. Big kisses from Istovka. This is me, Simon, signing off for a little while longer than normal. Bye for now. Beep beep. This program was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Visit our website at resonancefm.com to hear our vast range of original 24-7 broadcasts. Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform and relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at resonancefm.com.